0: start now. So this is the Crush the Cargill podcast and today our special guest is Josh Smith. Is it Smith or Smythe?
1: I go by Smythe these days and I've yet to legally change it but it will be Smythe legally one day too.
0: Oh cool, Smythe, yep okay. And Smythe, I mean Josh, is an old mate of mine. No, few (laughs) years.
2: Right, so you have known each other a while. Yeah, I met
0: Josh uh, 2002, the first time I went to Cambodia.
2: You're a, you're a nearly young man then, Steve.
0: Um, uh, Josh was a young man too.
1: How old were you then, Josh? I would have been 10, 11.
2: Right. Okay. How was it?
1: Um, it was definitely a, a life changing experience. hey um, Coming from New Zealand at seven and so, you know, one of the most corrupt, third-world countries in the world it was pretty crazy. Like seeing kids your own age kind of begging in the street. Made you really appreciate what you had, um, and it meant that when I got back to New Zealand, I saw a kind of wealth of opportunities all around me. You know. Yeah. 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 All right.
0: Mm-hmm. So, cool. when did you come back to New Zealand? What age?
1: Um, I so I finished school in two thousand and ten, and I got back here right at the start of two thousand and eleven. Yeah. So, how old were you then? I would have been just nineteen, because there's yeah. six months between the. American system, which they use in Cambodia and the New Zealand system. So I had six extra months in Cambodia just to kind of gather my thoughts before I headed back to the motherland.
2: Right, great, great. So what 2011? So oh, just in just time to see old Richie and the boys bring home the World Cup for us. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah, are you a rugby fan Josh?
1: Um, well growing up in Asia, I was never really connected to like sport in general, really. Um, I grew up playing football, and my dad was all about football. But yeah. I, I can enjoy rugby. I've never really followed a sport as yeah. such, but I, I can definitely enjoy watching it.
0: I remember going off to the um, the sports bar with your dad. And, um, he was absolutely nuts about it.
1: Well, I think it was one of the you know one of the connections to home for him. So he really really got on the on the train with that.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, I suppose there's that, right? Hey, Steve, have you ever played rugby?
0: I did when I was about 8
2: yeah right yeah. How, how did that work out
0: for you I was always the smallest on the field and um yeah. always the one at the bottom of the scrum getting my 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 head kicked and and I decided it wasn't much fun
2: well, so what 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 position were you were you like half uh, oh they half. Gave, they gave you an official position yeah 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 they'll they we'll just let Steve run around on the field and yeah you know, we'll let him think he's playing yeah, I'm like, the
0: impression was you're the halfback, so you're the one who gets in the bottom of the scrum. Yeah,
2: right. Well, I think you're supposed to stay to the side of the scrum or behind the scrum.
0: Well, eight-year-olds didn't really know the difference. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I always thought like rugby is quite homoerotic. Um, but there's a lot of um like grabbing of other men's thighs and sticking your head in between their legs and um. Some people would be known to stick their fingers fingers in places. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
0: That's just the French ones though, is not it? Sorry. That's just the French ones though,
2: isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So yeah. it does. It, it does make me wonder. Like, I, I don't. Oh, but anyway, I digress. Anyway, a so of,
1: a lot of people are touch starved in today's society. You know, especially males. So I think people do get a lot of a lot from that physical intimacy and contact, you know. So, you know, homoerotic maybe intimate, definitely. Yeah, that's
2: yeah, really yeah. it's definitely intimate. Definitely intimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I just actually have a I'd love, I'd love to have a conversation with Richie McCaw about intimacy and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Anyway, do, anyway. On. Um, Josh, do you run? Uh, I, I've been
1: starting to recently. I've been going for some jogs and. Like, a lot of my exercise has been pretty static throughout the years. Like, I'm a big fan of yoga, which has totally changed my life. Um, but moving to a more mobile kind of rhythmic um, exercise has been awesome. Um, actually, running, I used to do a lot of running in high school because I had a lot of kind of, a lot of uh, you know, mental issues and stuff. Like, you know, being a teenager, oh. being in Cambodia. And um, I found running really therapeutic, you know, just the kind of the repetitive uh, feedback you get from such a physical discipline is really wonderful
2: yeah 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 yeah. um so i've 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 kind of done my homework on you and 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 i know that you're 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 a fire performer and and you talk often about a thing called flow or the state of flow uh and 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 this this is something that happens in running too so Mm -hmm. when you know when you're sort of like running along and just all of a sudden it just becomes effortless and you just sort of yeah, Fire. state of fire.
1: definitely. And like you can find that all throughout many kind of physical and artistic disciplines, you know. Um, and it's when you get into that point of um, effortless self-challenge, you know, when you're pushing yourself and you're aware of what's happening, and you can kind of spontaneously sink into this deeper state of contact. And you know, in yeah. fire spinning, it's really awesome because it's so immersive. Like you've got heat light, sound, um, the physical feedback. So it's really easy to get deeply, deeply connected with the
2: Yeah, disability. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you as a doctor, Steve? Um, no, no,
0: no. no I, I don't think I've experienced the sense of flow as a doctor. <laughs> I, have, I have occasionally when I've been studying. How about that?
2: Right, cool. okay. I'll, the, I'll take that. I'll take the,
0: that. Rare, the rare assignment, but no, not right. in my, my job, no. So.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And um, and uh, back to um, back to the fire performing though.
0: Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Actually, Steve, have you
0: ever set someone on fire? Have I set someone on fire? Yeah. No. Have
2: what you? What about f- you? Like, I've I've heard. Um, oh no, I'm digressing again. Anyway. <laughs> Josh, have you ever set someone on fire? Have you seen yourself from fire? Uh, yes
1: to both of those, but let me break them down as well. So um, I used to have a friend who was a semi-professional stuntman, and one of the things he got trained to do was full-body burns. Oh. So um, yeah, yeah, he'd make his own fire gel, um, yeah. a very kind of special recipe, and he'd wear like three layers. He'd have two types of gel. One of them would be refrigerated, and that would be on the inner layer of his clothes and all over his face and stuff, and then he'd have another layer of clothes and then another layer of clothes, and between those would be the, the fire gel. And, and you got two people standing by with fire extinguishers. And, yeah, he sets fire to himself. So and
0: fire, fire gel, does that mean it's, it's really inflammable?
1: It burns? Super flammable, yeah, yeah.
2: Isn't it? It's like, you'd, you'd almost think, like, you know, like being a stuntman almost sounds glamorous, but it's probably got to be one of the shittest jobs. Like, um, oh, all right, we need somebody to set fire to themselves. Um, <laughs> Oh, we need someone to jump off a cliff, you know? I mean, I mean, if you're into it, though, you, you know, if that's your thing. We need someone to send that car and, like, drive into that wall without a seatbelt on or,
1: yeah. yeah. I can imagine some people, though, would be super stoked to do that, you know? they they been they're waiting their whole life to drive a goddamn car into the wall, so it's about, you know, really choosing the job that speaks to you, I guess. Well, I, I, um, yeah,
0: the
1: yeah. Ch- challenge,
0: the challenge is actually going back and doing it again.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, if you if you do it right, you do it once, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Does he? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Now he'll he'll, you know, like if you see him in um old Mission Impossible hanging out the side of the plane, that's actually him hanging out the side of the plane, yeah. Well, that's cool. cool,
1: I imagine that'd be one of the fun aspects of being an actor in that regard is you get to be really involved in your in your role, you know. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, he's um, yeah, Tom Tom Cruise. He gets right into it, doesn't he? Um, and then yeah, sometimes I have set fire to myself,
1: but it's never been like you know I've been spinning fire professionally and as a hobby for eight years now, so almost or nine years. The whole time I've been back in New Zealand, pretty much. Yeah, well, sorry, yeah. And it's 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 quite safe, you know, unless you're wearing like a giant feathery tutu or a onesie, or something that's really flammable, you know, it's quite actually hard to set yourself on fire. Um, yeah. And I've never seen uh, anything that has ever iterated. Yeah, uh, so
2: you, you haven't had any skin grafts or anything like that, or? Pardon? You haven't had any skin grafts? You know, no, or... no,
1: no, no, I've, I've, I've lost a couple of patches, but I mean, that's because I spin giant fire swords, which are kind of the most flammable of the of the toys and i mean that's um kind of how it goes at the start you know the first year first couple of years you're really cautious real real cautious you know you never burn yourself you're always super careful but then once you start to kind of develop your chops and being a bit more experimental that's when you start to lose some skin but again it's never that serious and if you take care of it then you'll be fine
2: yeah right right so so if there's um oh what was i gonna say Actually, I, I have dabbled in—I have dabbled in um, like fire poise and, and that sort of thing, um, like not, not for a very long time, and only when drunk. Um, but I do know how to fire breathe. Yeah.
1: See, so this is the thing. Fire breathing is almost an entire different discipline to what we do, um, and that's because fire breathing is actually highly dangerous and can go catastrophically—you know—wrong. Very quickly, especially if you're drunk.
2: You know, oh, I, I, love, I love life on the edge. You no, know, that's
1: you know, jogging, you know, long distance marathons, fire breathing—it's all up there, right? So yeah. that's—it's yeah. how you choose to spend your time. But um, in our, in our circles, we generally have no fire breathing ever.
0: <laughs> right. okay. Especially from tequila, no tequila and fire breathing.
1: You know, is it's the, just tequila, the the flammable. Oh, yeah. well, um, if you mix it with gasoline, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: So how did you get into the fire spinning?
1: Um, Well, in my first year, i just got back from Cambodia. I was, you know, somewhat disaffected. I was still adjusting, you know. It was really quite hard to go from a very tight-knit community in a very crazy country to suddenly there's 20,000 students in Dunedin, you know. Um, And I remember I was quite depressed and anxious in my first year, finding myself still, you know. And I remember walking um, past the union lawn, you know, that big lawn in the middle of uni and i saw these people you know up in front of everyone you know new zealand is a very strong tall poppy syndrome um you know embedded in its culture so as soon as someone kind of steps up or tries to you know um show off or even you know like speak out they get kind of denigrated quite quickly and this is changing as well but um You know, at the time I was walking past and I saw these people and they were so beautiful and they were up in front of everyone. They were encouraging each other. They were trying new things and it it looked awesome, you know. So um, it took me about four months to work up the courage to go and speak to one of them. And they invited me to the um, Dunedin Fire and Circus Club, which is the club that runs through uni. And every week they have a practice, not on fire, just a casual practice. Anyone can drop in. Uh, Wednesday night six o'clock in the activities hall of USA every week um, and yeah you just go and then suddenly there's a bunch of people and they just want to teach you it's one of the great things about this culture is that everyone remembers being you and showing up and being a bit like well this is kind of intense and then straight away someone will walk up to me and be like hey you, you want to learn something here's a toy you know like straight away yeah. um, and I became very involved in the fire club um, I've been president for the last, oh, like four of the last five years or something. Oh, cool. um, really helped grow the discipline, which has been a wonderful journey.
2: Yeah. yeah. So so, so, how long have you been the president for? Uh,
1: four of the last five years. I took a break last year and um, yeah, I've come yeah. back this year. Oh yeah. More,
2: oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, more to the point, um, you said you came back in 2011. So you, you went straight into uni. Yep. Have you been a student for the last nine years? Absolutely. So I got my yeah. first
1: degree, my bachelor's of science and psychology, three, four years ago. Right. And I, you know, after you finish your degree, you're a bit kind of like, unless you're uh, fortunate to be in a professional stream, you're kind of like, oh, what do I do? You know, and I wasn't in the top, you know, 15% of the psych class. So I didn't get offered postgrad or anything. And it's kind of a bit you Know where do you go from there? With you know, you can't go into the proper professional stream, so well, what's, the point
2: of of, what's the point of doing it if you're not going to be in the top 15%? Well, this is what
1: I'm working towards, you know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, tell that to anyone doing med, right, Steve? You know,
0: <laughs> we only get the top 15%, doesn't matter,
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. But um, you know, I guess you figure out other things to do, but then yeah, so I, I, I was done with uni and I went to work in the foodstuffs warehouse in South Dunedin and I spent months moving around boxes and first week was pretty cool you know I was like, I could do this I can move boxes and after about a month I was just looking at my hands I was just like I can I can do more than this you know this is some people can do uh, monotonous labor you know and they're the people that our society really depends on but I at my heart am a really like creative person so being in that really industrial institutional system was not working for me so I went back to uni and um yeah, and then I started. Uh, I worked for a charity, called the Community Arts and Circus Trust. So the year after that, we started working with schools. Um, and in that time, we worked with like twelve to schools in the last three years. Yeah, yeah. I
2: um, saw something. I saw something. Um, yeah, I did a bit of well, um, a bit of stuff at the Melcam Trust, and and I saw one of their videos, and saw and I saw a bunch of these um, braggled, Well, no, not beggled. <laughs> Um, would, yeah, just, uh, no, no, it was really cool, you know, doing, um, you know, it like sort of teaching those skills to to kids. that so I bet they probably hadn't had any experience and stuff like that, right?
1: And it's really great, you know. Um, one of the schools we have a really close relationship with is Queen's, um, the Young Girls School in South Dunedin. And, you know, can you imagine just showing up at a school at lunchtime and spinning fire in the courtyard? And all these kids are just sitting around. They're just at school, you know, you're 12. You don't know what's really up. And you see this dude just like going nuts. Maybe like 40% of the kids like, oh, this guy, you know, like, oh, who's this dude? Like, what the fuck? And then like the other, you know, 60% are just like, oh my God. And you get these people just, you know, crowding around and like, teach me, you know. So we're just teaching all these kids, teaching them how to spin fire. And it's just a wonderful thing. Like I've had the counselor come up to me and she was like, you know, you've got three of the most you know, um, troubled kids at this school talking and laughing and playing together. Um, another really interesting impact that we saw was that um, autistic children or kids that are kind of on the spectrum of disability really took to it because it's a, a very physical discipline. It's very engaging. Like, you literally just have to pick up a staff or a pair of poi. That's the entry level, you know, and you yeah. can just kind of start figuring it out. So um, we've actually been working with the CCT impact for the last couple of years as well. So oh, who, wow. How who's, about there? who's CCT? Uh, the Community Care Trust—they're one of the largest um, care providers in Dunedin
2: or Otago, I think. Yeah, I I work for CBCT. Cool. Um But uh, I think you know, like Close. the B the B's not really relevant anymore, so it should be CCT. But because there's already CCT, so we're still CCT. Yeah.
1: got there first, mate. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah. it's been
1: great, you know, for our culture. Because I remember when I when I first started fire spreading, it was very much a fringe discipline. You know, there were uh, maybe like four or five uh, national groups and like one national festival and um, yeah in the last couple of years I've been you know I was like how do I how do I expand this because it's helped me so much it's helped me find like constructive communities it's helped me learn how to communicate um, to empower myself and confidence you know it's just been really amazing so yeah. I brought it like straight into the heart of castle Street you know so I'll go to student parties where there's like 400 people going nuts you know on the street and go like right into the middle and just light up and the reaction's been awesome and that's actually what led me into student politics. Um, We're going back to RMV, the biggest youth festival in the country for the third year in a row now. And there's like 12 regional clubs and it's really starting to gain a foothold as a discipline in the New Zealand kind of cultural scene. Like um, I'm looking to register with sport New Zealand this year and next year and to start really it. Well, you never
2: know. Hey, like um, five, like, um fire performance that that become that, that could become an olympic sport for you know because well, this is
1: the thing i looked at the history of skating and uh surfing and snowboarding and you know they all started off with just kids on the street yeah. just playing oh, around
2: yeah yeah well, look, look look at um i mean i mean there has been talk of like like pole dancing at the olympics yep. um, and, Break dancing. and, and like, look steve i know you're familiar with pole dancing I, but, Josh
0: does pole dancing. He's just got the pole is on fire. That's all.
2: But. Actually, what about pole dancing but the pole's on fire? That would be cool. I haven't seen that. Maybe you could be the one to bring that <laughs>
1: into our world. Yeah, maybe.
2: But maybe, maybe, maybe Steve could be the first person to to to, to run up Mount Cargill whilst on fire.
0: Well, I, th- I think Josh could do that, especially if he's taken up running, because he came to crush the cargo last oh, year. That
1: yeah. oh, was great. Yeah, I got to see you
2: guys going hard, man. That looked like a wonderful event.
0: Was
1: oh,
2: it, it is most certainly a wonderful event. Yeah. yeah. Organised oh, by. Oh, sorry, um, non non-event, non-event, non event, non event, non event. Yeah. Don't. call well, it, it just it just so happened I was in I was, I was going for a run that night, and that day, <laughs> right? and
0: a hundred people yeah. turned up. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just just it's just a few of my friends like um sort of came along and.
0: And a fire spinner.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah it's about the community.
0: Yeah. It, it's yeah. A yeah so Josh you mentioned student politics how long you been involved in that
1: yeah so I've been um, part of OUSA this is my third year now and yeah it was just kind of natural progression I saw that there were lots of people that ran for OUSA that were really academic or really involved with charity work and volunteer work but there was no one that hung out at refuel every week there was no one from castle street there was no one to represent the people that are some of the most you know boisterous and Powerful, whether they know it or not, uh, groups in New Zealand or italian politics. So I was like, you know, I could really get involved with this social group and hopefully be able to represent them in a way that does them justice, but also make them aware of the kind of the power that they hold. You know, uh, like,
2: um, like you, uh, uh, like, like the student politics has been kind of boring for a long time. I, I remember, say, when I was growing up, and I'd always see stuff on TV. Um, of students like 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 uh, occupying the registry building and all that sort of stuff, and you know you get the odd little protest, nothing nothing really exciting. And then was it, I think it was last year we got Bong Kate. That was so, Josh. yeah. That was Josh.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Did, did you know? Did you know Josh that um that Steve is also referred to as Bong Steve? <laughs> that does not surprise me. No.
0: <laughs> it's a cambodian thing yeah <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it's a it's back from his cambodian days <laughs> the, the source of a lot yeah, of uh yeah, cambodian of cambodian. <laughs> yeah. Anyway,
0: anyway.
1: Josh, tell us tell us about
0: bongate you better tell us about bongate
1: yeah i could tell you a bit about that so um it's really hard with today's youth you know because like uh, there's this saying i think it came from russia you know a long time ago it was like there will never be a revolution until there are bread lines you know, um, the modern life is relatively cozy. Um, back in the 80s, you know, you had strong unions, you had people that really knew what they were fighting for, but since then, New Zealand politics has suffered kind of death by a thousand cuts, you know? So it was always an issue for me. It's like, how do I try to show these guys that they have this power, you know, to come together politically without, you know, without disengaging them? You know, everyone's everyone knows the climate's screwed. You know, but a little protest in Dunedin, might not necessarily have a huge, you know, there were climate protests going on and stuff. um, But it's hard to engage people with that because it's such a huge issue. They don't see it in their day-to-day lives. You know, same with student debt. You know, the uni owns you, you know, they give you the loan. They give you everything. They could kick you out of uni. You know, they probably couldn't kick everybody out of uni because then there wouldn't be a uni. But um, you've got to have huge buy-in for that. And people are pretty happy with where it is for the time being because it doesn't directly affect them on the day-to-day. But then suddenly the authoritative, you know, wing of the university trespasses into someone's house and steals their private property. And suddenly you had a bit of um, a powder keg, as I believe it's called in politics. So, yeah, that was a really, really amazing time, eh? Because I got to see people that I'd, I'd grown to know and love over the last couple of years, you know, coming together to stand up for something. And it was something that I had, you know, created as as the protest, you know, that was my...
2: So what had happened? The 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 university proctor was um, just like waltzing into flats and just taking people's bongs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I really am a believer in you know the the fact that students should be uh, treated as citizens. You know, and if he had done that to a lecturer, you know that would you know he wouldn't do that. Um, you know, yeah. does he go around to any of the university brasses' house and look through their windows? No.
2: Um, just, just for our Cambodian listeners, we're not referring to like the like turning up at people's flats and stealing their friend. It's uh <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not
0: the older brothers,
2: yeah. It's, the, no, it's um, the other ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, cool. So
1: so, so so yeah, it was really amazing, you know, to be given this opportunity to stand up for something that I know is right. Also hopefully cannabis would be legalized this year in New Zealand and we won't have to have this type of dialogue and that will hopefully lead to a discussion about the other types of substances mature adults should be able to use that are much much less toxic than alcohol um but yeah it was cool so within four days you know um from the initial event we had the protest and you know it was um i think 15 minutes to one and i said gather at one and there were maybe like 30 people there and i was like all right you know we'll do this with 30 people this will be fantastic you know I'm stick to my guns you know I know people support me online it'll be sweet and I just remember I was talking to this guy and I turned around and I looked down Castle Street and there's like you know 300 people just walking up Castle Street and it just my heart was I was so you know rewarded by that moment and I turned to look the other way down to where the library is this is right on the corner of Dundas and Castle and I see like you know a few hundred people walking out of the library to come down and join me there and so it was really cool you know like to be able to peacefully protest i think it was the largest student protest of the millennium actually
2: yeah it, it'll just, be right. it probably would be because the last big protests were crap, yeah, must yeah. what you're going to make us pay for our education now <laughs> yeah it
0: was probably about yes yeah
1: yeah it's crazy there's been a lot of uh, intergenerational theft i feel uh in many many areas as well as education yeah. but um but yeah it was really awesome man like to just see these kids who probably never protested for anything in their life come together and stand up for something that they you know really affected them and like you know a bunch of the people there that you know the people were talking to on the news and stuff they didn't even smoke weed or they didn't necessarily even support the smoking weed but they supported you know um the the rights of an individual to Have a property and to have a boundary around that property that's not arbitrarily trespassed and one of our main kind of worries with this was that um you know institutional creep so you know first they come for your bongs then they come for your spot knives and then next thing you know you know you got nothing left in your flat you know so um and people were saying you know what if it was a girl's flat and one of the girls had just gotten out of the shower there could have been any number of um you know issues with that whole situation so the fact that we were able to really stand up for student rights was a, a beautiful thing. And I think, or I hope that it had a resounding impact on those young people to show them the power they have when we stand up together.
0: Yeah, it's quite quite interesting now, considering, you know, this law that came in last week allowing um, police the right to enter homes without a warrant.
2: Oh, crap! Yeah. sack did they pass that? Yeah. Oh,
1: yep. shit. The things, though, this has been presented in a very um, antagonistic way by the National Party. Yeah, by the conservative yeah. society so yeah. under the state of emergency that we were just in the police had much more radical powers above and beyond that which were brought into legislation yeah you know and when when issues were brought up with the government they agreed to take it down from two years which is quite a long time i'll admit To uh, i think 90 days yeah and under the circumstances that we're in as a country i think it's entirely justified you know yeah. when you've got like brian tamaki and all these pissed off bar owners in auckland that want to throw parties it's just ridiculous, you know, I really, um, and again, you have to be wary of institutional creep, right, so people are worried that the government will keep these powers, but now there's a a committee to review it, and there's, you know, checks and balances in place, so I'm not not really worried about that.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty good, I mean, at least it is a law that was passed, rather than just the
1: police (laughs) trying to do it on their own without any law at all. (laughs) Yeah, and at least we do have some form of, uh, you know, coherent leadership. <laughs> and yeah, local yeah, well, that's and right.
0: You've, you've got a, you know, a police state under Jacinda's got to be the nicest police state in the
1: history of the universe, really. When you look at what's happening in Brazil, you know,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, that's just nuts. Yeah. Hey, anyway, going back to your, um, your, your student politics and Bongate, did anything, mm-hmm. like, how much has, has that flowed on? What's come out of it?
1: Well, again, it's hard to to measure, you know, a lot of the benefits that I deal with are like intangibles, you know, that's why it's, um, you know, sometimes hard to to get a foot in the door with like the flow arts or, you know, a lot of the benefits and stuff are really hard to measure. Um, And again, I didn't want to have this be my like one trick pony type thing, you know, so I didn't want to be like, oh, okay, now we're going to have a protest against student debt you know, because I know that like, you know, 12 people would show up. It was around exam time as well. Um, so I think the next thing I really threw my case behind was the Students for Climate March, you know, yeah, that yeah. happened um, last year. And, you know, I really tried to promote that and I handed out like flyers and I really talked to people and tried to invite people. And I didn't, you know, see that many university students there. Mm. Um, so yeah, the the major ongoing legacy that I've had from that has been personal, you know, um, people have, you know they already knew me as like a uh, someone that would you know come to parties and spin fire and be really friendly people would come to me with issues and i'd like try and you know share with them things that have helped me um, i teach yoga and meditation so yeah the major benefit of those protests was just a recognition for me as yeah. someone that would actually stand up for what's right you know
0: yeah any thoughts of getting into bigger politics
1: Again, it's uh, well. The thing that I found out about being part of OUSA is that um, you have to really kind of. You're part of a team, right? So yeah. I've got these ten other people, nine other people, twelve other people, changes every year that I'm beholden to. Um, so I can't really step out of line too much, you know. I can't um, go out there with some of my more aggrandized views because it would reflect badly on that institution.
2: Oh, then, didn't and, you? Wasn't there something that happened last, like around Bondgate, where? Um, like, um, they wanted to turf you out, but then they couldn't turf you out. Or
1: yeah, it was um, it was a bit average. They kind of because I went ahead and did it without going through the proper channels in terms of organizing a protest. Um, the president of that year got really mad at me. Found out she'd been meeting with Harlene Heaps in the lead up to then as well. So she was a bit of a um, uh, she had very close links with the university, and yeah, she basically gave me an ultimatum of like, you know, don't have the protest, or we're gonna try and kick you out, and. Um, I looked at the procedure for trying to kick me out, and it was that they would they had to have a meeting to vote, to have a general meeting with all the students to kick me out. you got to have, so a to have a meeting.
2: meeting. <laughs> yeah.
1: it, it makes sense within the policy. Because otherwise, you could just have the meeting, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I linked that information to the protest page, which by this point, I think had like 4,000 people interested in going, right? And, um, yeah, it was a wonderful meeting. They had the to have the meeting that I went to the next day, two days before the protest. And, um, yeah, I think it was one of the best attended OUSA meetings ever. They had like 150 extra people. And um, it was really, really amazing. Eh? Um, and those people all came to, to support me. So they chose not to kick me out. And they chose to endorse the protest, as OUSA yeah it's fantastic fantastic, yeah, it only goes to show you you know that some politicians are just really in the pocket of the big industry or institutions, and they don't understand the the power of the people or where where the power lies, you know, and I mean, we're seeing this very much with Simon bridges right now, you know he's just completely off the mark in every way, and he's he's digging his own grave, you know, so I really feel
2: hey, a little bit sorry for it for the guy
0: no yeah, yeah, no I do absolutely I, I, re- I
1: really hope he keeps his job because.
2: Yeah, oh, exactly. exactly. Might have
0: a chance.
1: You know, and they're going to try and usher in a new, you know, uh, kind of older white businessman type figure to steer us, you know, a strong man to steer us through the bloody crisis. But it's just a crock of shit. And uh, I really feel that there is a place for an opposition in government. they really, you know, otherwise you've got an autocracy, basically. Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I, I think uh, with well, someone, you know, he really comes across as somebody with a I believe, tip chip on his shoulder, you know. Yeah. That,
1: that, he's that, that not an d- opposition, he's just a dick, you know? Yeah, but
2: that that's <laughs> that a heavy burden to carry and it can 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 do strange things to a person.
1: <laughs> you know, time and time again, just from looking at his speeches and stuff, he just seems to be like malicious. Not, he's not yeah. even trying to not even trying to um be constructively critical. He's just trying to stir the pot to gain a lot of votes. And that's what this recent, you know, outrage about the legislation is about, is that they're not you know, they're they're just trying to stir the pot, really. Oh, um, I think
2: he needs to his, he needs to go toilets. He needs to do his state of flow out on the front lawn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so where were we? Oh yeah, Simon Bridges.
1: Yeah, so I'm yeah, like you, i I hope he does stay in power because you know, conservatism is not the way forward. We need a, a progressive and a, a more a more socialist leaning, I feel, to take care of everyone properly.
0: But you're going to stay in student politics for now, is that right?
1: Um, you know, I'm not sure what next year is going to hold for me. Um, I've just had a child, and oh, yeah. I'm thinking about actually going to study counselling at the Polytech, just to flesh out my degree and to go into, to go into social work, maybe. Oh, cool. So if that happens, right. I won't be, won't be at uni, and I won't be able to be part of OUSA, but I'll still very much be... Um, a student in Dunedin. Yeah. So then I'll go back to just hanging out at parties and making friends, and not have all the other obligations and restrictions around, you know, being part of
2: a political entity, which would be yeah. nice. I think. Yeah. It must yeah. be nice to get invited to parties. It is. And it's. I invited you to a party once, Andrew.
0: Sorry. I invited you to a party
2: once. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't. Your, it was your party. Sorry, I got confused. Yeah. No, I, I don't get invited to parties lots.
1: No, anyway, sorry, Josh, what were you saying? It's really enjoyable being um, recognized, you know, because yeah. of Snapchat, because of, you know, um, the crazy stuff that I do as a performer with fire. Um, yeah. People recognize me on the street in Auckland, you know, like I go yeah. to Rhythm and Binds, which is, you know, one, again, one of the largest youth festivals in the country. And it's, you know, people I've never met just come running up to me, saying like, yo, Josh, you're smart. Oh, my God. Like, it's, it's wonderful, you know, to, yeah. to be able to be um, uh, recognized. Yeah. So, what have you
0: been studying since you finished your psychology degree?
1: Sweet. So um, half of my psych degree, because you know you can choose papers from all over the place in uni, um, depending upon the program. Half of my psych degree or a little bit less was in sociology. So I actually started off studying sociology before transitioning into psych. Oh. And um, yeah, so I've got like three more three hundred level papers to do for my sociology major, but right now I'm doing one uh, either a hundred or two hundred level paper, uh, per semester, from anywhere in the humanities. So this year, I did, or I'm doing, um, you know,
2: a philosophy paper,
1: of philosophy of science. Actually,
2: so like, oh, sorry. Speaking of humanities, and actually speaking of student politics, I once ran for the OUSA um, humanities rep. Nice. Yeah, no, I, don't, I didn't. I get in. In Dunedin. Yeah, OUSA. Were you? A, were you at a Uni? unique? I was a student once. Well, you know, I, didn't, I, didn't, I think I've, I've got a whopping student loan. Um, but but yeah, no degree. No. Yeah. So what, uh,
0: what, what? What's your most interesting paper you've done, Josh? Um,
1: I really liked um, what is it? Sense and perception, uh, which is one of the site papers that I did, and it was fascinating. You know, um, yeah. just talking about. The ways that we perceive uh, stimuli, and one of the really interesting landmark studies I uh, that really imprinted on me at the time was um, what's called the top down gating of pain. So, basically, when you experience pain, um, there are three ways that you can stop that sensation there's local anesthetic, yep. there's general anesthetic, yep. and then there's this thing called top down gating where you yep. actually send the signal down your spine that cancels out the pain signal. And this has been recorded oh, okay. so, in like monks and Navy SEALs and all these really high-performing humans. And that really got me got me thinking, you know, if you can consciously send a signal to an area of your body, it's just a really fascinating concept. Yes. You know, I'm very, so, um, very... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Okay, so, like, Steve, when you finished Northburn, what did you do to stop the pain?
0: Um, I had a beer.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. No, uh, I probably had some paracetamol. Um, but during Northburn to stop the pain, I think I tried to ignore it and and carry on and and pretend it wasn't really there. There was probably a bit of top down yeah. gating going on there. North- yeah, Northburn, totally. Northburn is a big hundred mile race in Central Otago, Josh. Whoa. With with lots of lots of mountains, so it's like ten thousand meters climbing. So it gets wow. a bit sore. And you, it took me yeah.
1: thirty two hours. Yeah. Do you ever find that um while running, you get into altered states of perception?
2: Oh most certainly but I know well it it um hallucinate hallucinations are are fairly common and in, in um when you're doing sort of like long distance runs and things like that. Wow. So for example, when I was doing Northburn, um I oh man that was crazy because i was I was um, I found out you can actually fall asleep whilst walking. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I did it. Um, and um, but I, I was having um, I thought I saw like East Island statues. What? But you know, this is like this is like Central Tago, so it wasn't East. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool.
0: I thought I was walking through a pile of worms. It was uh, everything was waving like worms. I was just looking at the ground. It was just this mass of worms.
2: I thought you said worms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me. mean that would have made a mess of your shoes, Steve.
0: That <laughs> would be interesting, yeah. No, no, it wasn't. It was just worms, as in, um, you know, ooey gooey, chewy gooey worms.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine that it would get pretty intense after. How long did you say? Thirty-two hours. Thirty-two hours. Yeah, it's a sleep
0: deprivation. Was <laughs> it for you? If you if you haven't had enough
1: sleep. How yeah.
2: long as you stayed awake for, Josh?
1: Uh, I think um, uh, I was very involved in a little event that was called Occupy the Octagon in Dunedin. Oh yeah, um, part of the whole Occupy events all over the world. And I think I hit like eighty-four hours. Oh, that's good. You know, yeah, like three and a half days. So it was definitely that... um, things start to kind of fray at the edges, and you lose continuity. Like suddenly you're over there.
2: And yeah. So, I know. I know. Yeah. It's, it's it's yeah. It's like it's it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what the body can. Like, do we even need sleep?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we do. Oh. Eventually, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, the on, so you you don't even you're not even a practicing doctor.
0: <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> but I know things. Right. No. Well, the the longest I've managed was um, I think I was awake I was awake once for like three sunrises, so that was pretty cool. oh Oh, my god it it included riding horses and pulling a pulling a parasite out of a horse's penis (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) was that the reality or the loser nation no that was (laughs) the reality
2: (laughs) (laughs) what were you doing oh it, it was mexico and um and, and and it was New Year's, and I can't remember if the partying started like before New Year's or on New Year's or, um, but it ended up, um, or as it turned out, I was in this village for a while, and I I got to kn- to know the local ranchero and his son, and you know they used to have all these horses that they bring down the hill each day, and down to the, beach and the tourists would like go riding on them. But anyway, the Ranchero was partying with me all night and, uh, but he still had to get the horses out in the morning for the tourists to ride and, and, um, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's get the horses. So, um, so we went up the hill to where the horses were and, you know, we had to clean them all down and all that sort of stuff. And we got to watch a dog fight and, um, um, yeah, it's, it was Mexico. So that's, yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> Right. Oh, that was a little bit disturbing for me. The dog fight was a little bit disturbing for me. But anyway, in the process of cleaning these horses, one of the horses had a tick on its penis, um, and 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 I had to remove that. And, um, and that's a good story. Okay, so Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um,
0: what was your altered states of perception like?
2: Um, probably
1: the the most interesting ones that I've had naturally. Have been through yoga really. Um, mm-hmm. Yoga is a really powerful discipline when you start to get deep into it like the combination of breathing and sustained holding of you know stressful positions can really have wonderful effects like um, you know if you're holding a series of poses real hard out for 40 minutes 50 minutes and then when you finally get to lie down on the mat it just feels like you've melted into a big big puddle of liquid you know you're just completely at rest and you can actually feel your mind become still like properly still like um i find it quite hard to meditate personally i have a very active mind um i also find it very hard to visualize uh, what's called aphantasia so i don't really have a mind's eye um but yeah in this instance i just completely was able to feel my mind just become crystal clear and it was completely in tune with my body and, um, yeah, and it's cool because the my yoga teacher at OUSA, Wayne Edison, his teacher's teacher was um, Ayengar, who founded one of the five schools of yoga. So he's a very rigorous, you know, he's got a lot of tradition in him. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah yoga has been a great source of altered states for me. Um, sometimes if you're in a very strenuous position, you can be looking at the wall and then suddenly it feels like you're looking straight through the wall. It's called gazing into infinity and everything just falls away. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a bit like running Northburn.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a bit more exciting than watching the paint dry on the wall.
0: Well, the no... great. Northburn, ...so you can just see into Affinity anyway, but yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Do yeah you, what, what other hallucinations have you had, Steve? Um, oh, that's the only one, really. Yeah. Just the... Yeah. So you've done quite a few races. Yeah, but I I usually have a bit of a nap. Yeah, right. even even oh. 20 minutes makes a difference. Totally. Yeah.
2: Oh, I can't. I, I have a hard time. Like in the middle of a race, just just the thought of stopping and having a snooze. So, yeah,
0: I, I can, or at least I I believe I can. It may be a delusion rather than a hallucination, but yeah. Oh, Do you just like pull oh, up
1: the on the race. side of the road have you jump oh, into the bushes.
0: I, well, sometimes I'll plan it like um. I'll, I'll know where I'm going to be at a certain time, so I aim to be at a, a, a aid station and crawl into a tent and sleep for 20 minutes with a, nice. with a time. Although there was
2: that, uh, there was that story that, um, uh, it must have been the year before, I did not, 2016, There's some guy that decided to take a snooze on the side, of, well you think like the probably the side of the, the, the track would be the best place to have your snooze if you're going to have it. But I guess you had in the middle of the, middle of the track and then they had it moved for a while and I think they sent out a, a someone on a quad bike or a four-wheel drive or something to go find this guy and and they nearly ran over him because he was like just down to sleep in the middle of the trail.
0: <laughs> Not very strategic, that one. No, yeah. no. The best solutions I've heard of for running hallucinations was um, a guy who did a big event in, in, in January or February and and he um he saw a caravan being pulled up by a couple of black and white cows, up a riverbed.
1: Wow, he, that's very. He hear,
0: hear the noise of the people driving the caravan as well.
2: Wow, oh, yeah. oh that's like when I talked to um like um Glenn Sutton um. No God, he was he was in he was in a state of some sort of flow, but he he ran from he ran from the west coast to um, Saint Clair, like stop. I mean, aside from a twenty aside from like, I think he had a twenty minute sleep in um in Lawrence or something like that. But when he yeah. got into um I think he got to as he got is he approached Dunedin? I think he just decided oh, I don't, like he started running like half marathon pace, and then until we hit about um down by concord and 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 he said I think he's like hearing voices coming out of the shrubs and things like that and yeah sleep is yeah. important yeah yeah
1: so how's how's fatherhood Josh oh it's great like i said um being on lockdown during you know the the last term of pregnancy has been an absolute blessing you know um i can imagine other people have been getting you know relatively cooped up and you know, a bit antsy, but it's just been absolutely beautiful for us, Um, and we have some of the best midwives, you know, and our midwives loved us as well. They, like, um, really encouraged us to have a home birth, which we were looking at anyway, and it was just beautiful, man, and now we've got this tiny human. I think she's 11 days old today, and it's just wonderful, man. It's a wild ride, Um, and I, you know, in the past, I hadn't really wanted to have kids because I wanted to you know, I keep doing my charitable work, keep um, going to events and festivals. And I, I was like, I need to be there for my people. You know, I can't be you know, distracted by fatherhood. But now that I've got this child, I'm feeling even more driven, you know, to really organize my life, to share what I have to share with as many people as I can. So I think it's going to be a wonderful uh, a boon or a blessing um, to both my life and those that I get to impact. Yeah, Yeah. what's the kid's name? Uh, Willow, Wisp, Mahuika, Smythe.
2: Ah, yeah. Cool, cool name. No, there's a lot, you think about it, like, um, uh, naming a child is a critical, critical moment. Um, Because that child's got to live with that name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You're going to have it for a long time. It's a lot of responsibility. But you're probably already putting on to the whole responsibility thing before you got to the naming
0: bit, I'd imagine. Well, well like, I feel, like I've, I feel looked, like I've
1: been practicing for fatherhood for ages, you know, like I've been teaching in kindergartens, primary schools, secondary schools. I've been hanging out with the university age, 18, 19 year olds. So like all the way down, you know, most people my age don't even, if unless they have a family of their own, would never interact with people across that wide an age spectrum. So I feel like I've been particularly, um, you know, uh, experienced in, in, in just seeing our kids grow over the years. And now that I have my own, it's just such an exciting um, opportunity, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it changes yeah. your perspective on things, doesn't
1: it? Totally. There was this one amazing moment, um, you know, just before my partner Levi gave birth, where I kind of felt this, like, jolt of, um, you know, energy, shoot down through the top of my head down my spine and i felt this um very strong connection to the like every father in history and just the entire web of life all the way back to the first organism you know it was really a totally spiritual moment um and it was like i went from being you know at the edge of the chain to being a link um in a chain yeah um so that was and i feel like you know my whole life up until now and i've had the train wheels on you know i've been I've been kind of in the in the introduction phase and um, now I'm coming into what it's really about. Eey, scary. It's terrifying, but I've, I've got such an amazing group of people around me and my partner's just so supportive and wonderful and independent and creative. And yeah, so I feel really well set up. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Mm.
0: Andrew,
2: yeah,
0: are
1: you right? right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was, um... Yeah. By the way.
0: Yeah, good. <laughs> um, Josh's parents are good friends of mine.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, well, um, obviously so I imagine like um like Josh wasn't in Cambodia as a ten year old by himself. No. Uh, so <laughs> Oh you know, I just took a break from primary school, went over to Cambodia. Gotta do the Lord's work, mate. <laughs>
0: yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yep, they were they were missionaries in Cambodia. Yep.
1: So what was it like being being a missionary kid? It was um real interesting, you know, and cuz my dad was also a soccer coach, I was kind of like the missionary pastor's kid and the the coach's kid, you know? Yeah. So I had like a lot of um a lot of really awesome uh qualities that I gained from just being around my dad. He was like incredibly communicative. And charismatic and he's really dedicated to learning whatever he wanted to learn. Um, and as far as the missionary side goes of it, he wasn't too um you know, there's a broad spectrum of people that go to do mission work. You know, there's the extreme right wing Americans that are all about this is what you have to do and you're doing all this stuff wrong and you're gonna go to hell, god damn it. And then um there's people like my dad. Yeah. And my dad's main ministry was um, or at least the start was through football. So he would, um, I think, he created the first youth soccer league in Cambodia. Uh, Had like you know 28 28 churches from all across the country coming together.
2: Thank God he didn't go to like uh, he didn't pick the Andaman Islands like that other guy we talked about last time, Steve.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, You heard of the Andaman Islands? Nope. They're up up to the west of um um oh in the top
2: of the oh which ocean? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Anyway needless to say they don't have a youth football team no
0: they're, they're the ones that slaughtered a missionary while
1: right and I, i've heard about you know we were kind of fortunate to be in the in the capital in the urban zone and you hear about some people that lived way out in the villages or like you know people that were missionaries in africa and they, they had really kind of um much more intense experiences than we did you know we had like a nice house or relatively nice house and you know, a, a large community of um, fellow English speakers, so it wasn't wasn't as jarring a transition as it would have been for some missionary kids, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting because you know, my dad was um, he was very into physical sport. He used to bring people together. Um, he united people and he inspired people. And there was this moment last year where I was spinning fire on Castle Street, and I was like, wait, I'm kind of using the sport to bring people together, communicating with young people and sharing what I think about the world and God with them. And I was like, Oh my God, I've become my father. You know, <laughs> like, it was a real funny experience. Um, Yeah. but oh, Yeah. It was, it was kind of cool actually. Cause I really, from that point started to appreciate, you know, all the, all the lessons he'd given me. So yeah, I think it was a really uh, a good thing to be a missionary kid uh, ultimately.
0: Yeah. I found out where the Andaman Islands are. They're in the Bay of Bengal. So, between India and um, Burma, or Myanmar and Thailand. Yep, fair enough. Yep, yep, that's where they are. Yeah. Yep. Do you want me to bring it up so you can have a look?
1: I believe you.
2: It's a (laughs) great place for a festival yeah well yeah like, maybe, maybe fire festival round two <laughs> it's, yeah it's, i mean
1: maybe we'll send a couple more missionaries
2: and see how they go first
0: it could yeah. be a man trick see how many times you can go visit andaman islands yeah <laughs>
1: it's a bucket list thing the last thing maybe but yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah 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 so um do you reckon the, you know, that and and like with your dad and stuff, do you reckon it's influenced you quite a bit in
1: how you are now? Definitely. Like I think um there was something about being around this group of people in Cambodia, because my parents had a wide ranging friend group. Um and going to the only kind of major international school in the city, I had a very, you know, interesting group of friends as well. Like, you know, the the kids of the EU representative. And the you know the kids of the second most powerful general or the head of the interior ministry you know so I grew up with all these crazy powerful kids and it was great because we were all just kids you know so that really um, kind of impacted on me the the shared nature of humanity you know yeah um, and then coming back to to New Zealand I've got this um, this thing that not many other people have you know a lot of people grow up in in their neighborhood, you know, they're based in the same place in Wellington or Christchurch or Auckland. You know, they're really um, the embedded. The yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, where you know Gore, wherever you know Alexandra, there's like heaps of places, right? But um, yeah. So the fact that I was, uh, I, I had this frame shifting perspective, you know, from seven, I got, I had to assimilate a large amount of data like quickly, you know, when you get dropped in a different country, different language, different culture, different practices, different survival tactics you know as opposed to growing up on your block in, in yeah. Um, so yeah I feel like it has made me very like sensitive to social cues and to kind of the unspoken you know traditions of any kind of whatever level of group so I I felt like when I did come back once I gotten over all my kind of trauma and bullshit from you know having to struggle through that has left me much more aware yeah. of um, the interactions that we have
0: yeah yeah it's pretty cool it's pretty cool how everyone has different experiences but your experiences um and the fact that you've managed to get over the uh, trauma of them
1: yeah man that place is crazy you know when you see someone your age with no legs on a tiny board with wheels begging for money with tears in their eyes Or, you know, one day I bought a hot dog for a poor kid. It was like, you know, 11 a.m. outside Heart of Darkness on Street 51. And I had my last $4, you know, that I'd gotten off my parents, you know, $10 the day before. And this kid was real hungry, so I bought him a hot dog. You know, and this older kid comes from around the corner, smacks him in the face, and takes the hot dog away from them. And, like, everyone sitting around the table knew that if we had gotten up and done anything, that around the corner there'd be an even bigger kid you know, who would come and talk to us about messing with how the system works. So it really was pretty traumatic, you know, being whatever age growing up there. Um, But again, experiencing that trauma has just made me appreciate, you know, in Cambodia, there's bars on every windows. You know, like every house has a six to 12 foot fence with spikes and barbed wire around it. Like the majority of houses have guards and a lot of those guards have guns like literally guards. So when you come back to New Zealand and there's, you know, like a a social security net, you know, and there's people just leave their doors open at night. Suddenly you go from being in this like hyper protective, authoritarian, you know, survival state to just this land of milk and plenty, you know? Um, And there's so many opportunities here that you can take, you know, whether that's like grants or, you know, getting involved in starting business in Cambodia, to do any of those things you have to pay money first you know it's the most corrupt nation on the world and you oh, can't and, really have any-
2: and so, so so you did all that and came back to new zealand at, at 19 was it 19 yep yeah yeah which is about in the middle of where your your prefrontal cortex development <laughs> so, man that must have been an interesting time
1: <laughs> it was eh? especially because oh, I, I was taking in- <laughs> Yeah, well, I I, I was um, I sunk quite deeply into alcoholism in Cambodia because it's like three dollars for a bottle of vodka at any twenty four hour store, uh, with no ID. So three dollars, twenty four hour store. Doesn't matter how drunk you are. So from about sixteen to nineteen, I was like pretty pretty wobbly there, you know, in terms of um causing a lot of a lot of damage to my brain with the amount of alcohol I was drinking. So when I did get to New Zealand, it took me, like I said, about a year to kind of. Get off that path, mostly because I didn't have enough money, you know, because alcohol's hugely expensive here. Um, but then, yeah, I discovered fire spinning, and I discovered yoga, and those are the things that really allowed me to change my path. You know, I was really like I had the some of the, the the deepest depression and such intense anxiety. Like it's really hard to to overstate how traumatized I was from that time. But through these practices, you know, I've found this pathway that has liberated me and has healed me. So through that, then I found a life pathway, you know, and a lot of people struggle with what to do with their lives, especially amongst my generation, you know, there's not necessarily heaps of jobs. Um, There's not a lot of support necessarily from the government, unless you've got very well-connected parents or you do extremely well at school, it's difficult, but I feel lucky because I've been given this um, gift, you know, that's come out of the pain that I've experienced in my life.
2: Yeah, cool. It's kind of
1: top-down gating, really. Kind of, yeah, like I I can now, you know, when difficult things happen in my life at this point, I'm just kind of like, this is not a, (laughs) this is not a very difficult thing, you know, even if it appears to be super, you know, even if I was gonna, you know, whatever, go to jail for like 10 years or something, you know, compared to going to jail in Cambodia or even living on the street in Cambodia, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing. So, yeah, I feel kind of bulletproof sometimes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That 's pretty cool mm. so
0: if you were, if you were going to go into politics, what would your platform be
1: that's a good question. I think that the way that we do politics today is somewhat archaic. Um, the multiple MP system or even the whole system of parliament, I feel like it 's a relic of an age before digital communication. The fact that these guys get paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to supposedly represent us is. Uh, interesting, you know, and I really do feel that, you know, there'll need to be a transition period before we move on to something better, but I really think that um, we should have a transferable vote system where you can give your vote to someone and they then can vote for you so if you don't feel educated enough in this way, it'll um, cause a a rise of civilian commentators you know, people that are, um, are looking to gather someone around their platform and, I mean, that could be good or bad, you know, when you've got mob rule and fake news and all that. But in a world, mm-hmm. I mean, even our democracy isn't perfect, you know?
2: Like, we've got yeah, so I'm trying to... trying to cut down on the fake news, to be fair. <laughs>
1: yeah, man, good luck, because it's freaking everywhere. And half the time, you don't even know that it's, you know, it's fucking psyops from Russia. Like, all this goddamn, you know, 5G paranoia is just insane. It's like Russian psyops looking to destroy our communication infrastructure and so discord, you know? And anyone that chooses not to look into that, and just accept it is not, you know, it's not someone I'd trust to vote at all, really. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a lot, of, a lot of issues with our politics. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is, um, you know, having an adequate social security net. So I think the way that housing and the way that housing is used as an investment, a financial investment in this country, is kind of a shame, you know? Oh,
2: just, the same thing. Like I thought, um so if you look at like what you know what our basic human rights are, um so like shelter, and there's a couple of other ones or whatever, but you know basic human <laughs> need like how how can you how how can you how can you make an industry that's uh, that's profiting off a of basic human need? It's like people sell water, you know water's not free, yeah, well, exactly, I thought, um um, well, I mean, I was always from somewhere that didn't have water rates, and then I moved to Auckland, and then you have pay water rates.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: don't and pay, pay water. all the time. Don't don't want to fall behind on that. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> although Auckland's running out of water,
1: um, yeah, because it's too big. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, it's all right. We're just going to drink Gatorade. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, there's a couple of other things I'd, I'd look into, which would be a, a wealth cap. You know, so um, increasing our rate of progressive taxation, maybe adding a couple more brackets. I think. In,
2: oh, we've got an informal thing of that in Crush Chicago, where Steve probably shouts me more beers than I shout him. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's because he's he's he's, he's got a higher income.
1: Yeah, it's well, kind of, you know, it's kind of a tax.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And
1: I mean, you're lucky he chooses to do that, right? Because I mean, imagine if he you didn't, he'd have all the beer and he'd be out in the cold. So uh, uh, That sounds it's, quite good.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you'd be a good capitalist, Steve.
2: <laughs> you, you know, we don't charge people to to run and, to run and crash a cargo. The, like, I mean, if it was like, I mean, not that it's an event or anything.
0: Yeah, it's just Koha.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there is it's a like, car co- though. Like. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, You can't, like, you know, you can't. Someone just like turns up and goes, "I, oh, I haven't got any money to donate." Oh, you can't come on. You're too poor to donate. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't yeah. even,
0: even
2: do that. There's
1: always
0: Maybe something. They, they could still wash my car or something like that. Right. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd probably also lower the voting age as well to 16, because I think 18 rather arbitrary number if you're going to choose something more based around brain development it should be like 23 you know but um the world's changing so quickly and the youth are the ones that are going to inherit it you know and like going to those school climate strikes man were amazing you know so beautiful there's you know tens of thousands of youth around this country that are engaged and pl- like generation z gen z are going to be the ones that save the fucking planet man you know um they're the ones that are kind of able to see through most clearly i feel the veneer of consumer political bullshit because they've been so immersed in it you know Mm. from such an early age um yeah so i'd lower the voting age as well um i'd probably look at um reclassifying the drug schedules as well because that was one of the main reasons i studied um psychology is because i was really fascinated by substances especially alcohol because it's just so destructive it's just so destructive it's a neurotoxin it's a like poisons almost all of the organs in your body it poisons your skin and yet it's legal yeah. and it's just insane you know and tobacco tobacco is one of the most addictive destructive practices or you know substances on the planet and it's sold at every corner store next to your milk it's crazy you know and meanwhile there are like of
2: I mean, the it's... most destructive things isn't it what was it milk, milk. It's milk. Pretty... It's... milk's not that bad not as bad as
1: tobacco
0: Well, but there's this moment. I remember very strongly.
2: Have you you gone for a swim in a river in Southland lately? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tell you what.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, good point. There's this moment when I walked into a dairy after a couple of years at uni, after really thinking about it. Uh, I'm just um, just stoking the fire. Okay. No worries. And, um, you know, I looked at the tobacco behind the shelf, and I looked at the milk and the energy drinks in the fridge, and I looked at all the sugar on every single wall. And it just really hit me, A, eh? I I was like, you know, dairies are just terrifying. There's yeah. so many unhealthy practices or yeah. substances in, in the falls of a dairy. You know, they should be selling fresh produce from the local market. And some of them do, you know, but they're not right up front next to the lollies.
0: No.
1: no. Um, so I'd probably introduce a sugar tax as well upon highly sugary beverages because I think, you know, it takes the fun out of it when it's $4 for a king-size bar of chocolate. Now, chocolate should be $50 a block. A block. You know yeah. what I mean? It should be way more expensive for what it is. Um,
0: yeah. I, I so. like chocolate. I'd like huh. chocolate to keep down, but put the lollies up. Yeah. <laughs> <There> <laughs> won't
2: the, you're talking about sugar tax. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, do you reckon, um, say, people that don't smoke, they should be able to leave work earlier because they didn't take smoke breaks?
1: I don't know about that because you should always have regular breaks at work. But I think that um, maybe they should get a, a small tax refund.
2: That- about, um, like, or, or, or sick leave? So, so if I was a smoker, um, I'd probably have more days off work because I'm probably going to be sicker. Um, say if I was super healthy um, and and I exercised every day, should I should I um, should I get I'm probably going to use less sick sickly. Should I be paid
1: that back? Well, that's another really interesting idea. Is the idea of a um, maybe like health tax or a health rebate? So, but it's it's a really tricky thing, right? Because a yeah, lot yeah. of people. Yeah,
2: it's, 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 it's like when you get solar, power, solar panels, and you're you you paying power back into the grid.
1: Exactly, but the thing yeah. is that a lot of people that engage in these negative practices are at the lower end of the socioeconomics, you know, level anyway.
0: It's better when we've all got microchips because then you'd be able to tell. I can't wait. I'm
2: down down with the microchips. And and I don't understand why people have a problem with it because they have a problem with it still walking around with a cell phone in their hand. That's got a whole bunch of microchips in it.
1: The thing about wetware or embedded electronics, I guess, is the fact that it's very much more part of your biology. Um, like I remember, they were looking at a digital contact lens a couple of years ago, and yeah. it gets injected into your eye, and it it goes in as a tube, and it unfolds kind of on the inside of your retina, and it can display information. Um, so when you've got something of that, you know, imagine if suddenly you get a five a.m. ad, you know, from Apple, <laughs> you know, it's not going to. So I really do think that once we get our political shit sorted out as a country, I mean, sorry, as a, as a, as a as a world, you know, as a nation, once we remove the corruption and the politics and remove the greed from our communities, then it'll open up a whole, like there needs to be a new level of trust. You know, there's a lot of people that, like the people that are freaking out about about 5G, or the people that freak out about vaccines. You know, when you look at the Tuskegee experiments in America where they, you know, purposely infected a bunch of people with syphilis, when you look at, like, you know, many cases of the government betraying the trust of the people over time, it's understandable. And I just like to think about a time when maybe in the next hundred years or so, hopefully when I'm still alive, where we have achieved a one world government, because it makes sense. And we can move beyond this nation state paradigm. You know, it's a really, truly seeing each other as part of a single species.
0: So you, you have a bit of hope in that, yeah? Because i Because I've, I've heard you talk about it before. Definitely. It's pretty
1: much like, I not only have hope in it, I have faith in it.
0: You know, yeah, I've why had do, why do you, why do you have faith that people will do the right thing? That's well,
1: better than alternative. Sometimes I don't accept the alternative. You know, yeah. our world has been through so much pain and so much darkness already, and mm-hmm. it's there's probably a lot more to come. You know, but I just have this deep-seated feeling, which I didn't have before. Growing up in Cambodia, I was a misanthropist. I was like, humans are the worst. You know, we all need to. We all need to die and get out of the way and let mother nature get back to there's too many of us all those bullshit right-wing propagandists that they're propagating now um but no i in the in in the time since come to really um become aware of the beauty that lies deep within every single person and it's it's one of the things that really does motivate me like in all my interactions with people you know on all these different people all the schools everyone on castle street festivals all around the country i've had very very few negative experiences and that might just be new zealand but like i I just feel it i just feel that the fate of this world is not to 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 burn in some hellish you know venus like you know planetary annihilation but one of harmony you know and how very human you know to get right to the brink of complete annihilation to see the you know the darkness in our souls before turning it around,
2: yeah. Cool, oh well, I hope you're right,
1: me too. You know, and it's um, it was one of those things where it was kind of like a switch changed inside of me, you know. And it's a hard thing to describe having like I guess it's like a faith experience or you know, a spiritual experience. I've had some pretty cool spiritual experiences, but yeah, it was just this moment where I, I felt like I was being told, you know, and, and whether. You know, I could critically dissect this. I could project, uh, you know, onto it or, you know, figure out whether it's confirmation bias or something. But I choose not to. I choose to accept it. Yeah. And that's one of the things about faith is that, you know, the choice to take that on is a very powerful part of that. And it's something that keeps me going, you know, because if I did really suspect, you know, that New Zealand was going to devolve into this tribal, you know, uh, chaotic, anarchic state, um, you know, what am I going to do? Like go out and buy a gun? yeah no. and just wait and be scared of my neighbors no i'm going to actively believe in the, the goodness that i see in people and then try to represent that and champion that you know as much as possible yeah no cool
0: nice yeah.
1: like yeah. it's handy it's super handy because i used to be real angry real depressed real misanthropic so it's been yeah. a nice journey okay. and i feel well, like it's, it's well,
2: so on that note, what, what's your worst run ever? My worst run? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's a question
0: you uh, ask everyone on the show.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I got it,
1: I got it, it. it. it all it, right. It, so. just, just wait to the next question, though. <laughs> cool, cool, I've got it. My worst run ever. So it was my first year at university. I went straight into Flatting. I was living at 371 Leith Street, the Queef on Leith. It was a great flat. Um <laughs> And... So we'd been playing uh, beer pong, but coming straight back from Cambodia, I was, you know, the hard case. First year I was playing with a bunch of third and fourth years, right? So I was like, just had to prove myself. So I chose to play whiskey pong, you know? Um, so I managed, you know, this was me in first year. So I managed to polish off, I think it was like, you know, four fifths of a bottle of whiskey in about two games. And then we went to town. So we started going to town and I think I made it about eight steps from the house before i just remember like closing my eyes and then peeling myself up off the pavement i made it eight steps it was i I almost made it to town you know as part of the journey but um yeah and then and then i was just like i'm not going to town i'm going to sleep and that was probably my worst run ever that's pretty good run that's Uh, a good
0: bad run i don't think we've had such a good bad run have we
2: yeah, that's pretty good. Whiskey pong. though, I'm impressed. We should actually. Yeah, this, this, this night, Maybe we should. Um, maybe the next question Chicago, we could do tequila pong on the summit.
1: I'll give you a little hint. So when you play it, don't try and match the beer guys. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Last a long, long.
2: Remember
0: that, Andrew. Remember that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Actually, but, and 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 um, were you were you were
2: you um were you wearing underwear at the time?
1: Yes, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Not not 100%. (laughs) There's a lot of time
0: ago. It's good to wear aerodex because you get less chafing. They're running, they're specialised underwear for men for running.
1: I'll look those up right now, thanks.
2: Yeah. 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 So so next time we play some whiskey polio you feel like going to town and work on your aerodex and Shaving's going to be the least of your worries.
1: You know, it's, I feel it was the shaving, you know, that eight steps really kind of got to me.
2: Oh, speaking of which, I probably had the worst shaving experience of my life this week. Um, Go. Oh, well, you know, well, I was, I was down in Invercargill because it's like, because Jacinda said I could visit my parents. And so I went down there and, um, of course, I left my lube in, um, in Dunedin. And 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 decided to go for a go for a two and a half hour run with, with wow. no group And oh my God, the damage that I caused! Couldn't run the actually the next day. Went to go for a run and I I ran, you know, and it was touch and go. Oh, I don't know if I should do this. My toes because I had a toe infection as well. But um, I I made it about um, you know, I made it like fifty meters and. So a bit longer than your 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 um whiskey pong eight set, but um yeah just couldn't do it. If, the, if I run any further, it's just like things are going to start falling out and not. Good. So did you, yeah. you ever get,
0: like, nipple your, did you not have your aerodex Andrew? No, I
2: wasn't wearing my aerodex.
0: And and, the,
2: and um and I haven't had that experience whilst wearing aerodex. So yeah
0: yeah yeah. You're going to ask nipple chasing. Yeah, is that a thing? Bleeding nipples is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did the half marathon in Cambodia with your dad and um, and another guy. And uh, I think your dad did the 10K, but it was another guy who did the half with me. And and, um, at the end, he was wearing a white shirt. And um, at the end, it looked like he'd been shot twice in his chest. (laughs)
1: Looks so good. Good to know. I'll I'll keep an eye on that one.
0: So, anyway, anyway, this show was brought to you by Aerodex. Um, thanks very much for um, coming on board, Josh.
1: No worries, Steve and Andrew. Have a good night, and thanks for giving me the opportunity. At night
2: I wake up with the sheets soaking wet And a free train running through the middle of my head Only you,
1: and cool my desires.